Greetings, Cyberspace, and welcome to episode 20 of the Double Density Podcast with your hosts, Brian and Angelo. Now, this week, we're going to be going down a couple of video game-centric um, tangents, I guess would be the best way to put it. Right, Angelo? Well, are, are they tangents if you, uh, like, say you're going to go down them, or are they just, like, plotted courses at that point? That's a very good point. I feel like they're strands. We can use the word strands, I feel like, uh, as a compromise. Okay, that's a good idea. So you've been doing some digging around the internet over the past week trying to uh, regain some of your um, uh, childhood, I guess, after last week's discussion about video game magazines, and <laughs> you're not sure where they were at that point, right? So w- give us an update on that. So yeah, I haven't found my magazines, so I'm kind of sad about that. Uh, I'm pretty sure they've been destroyed. I kind of looked uh, everywhere at my parents' house, and my dad is pretty sure that I had authorized the destruction of them which you found funny last week. Uh, just in, in the verbiage I used, not the fact that they were destroyed. So Operation Pixel Shred was a success. It was successful. Uh, my magazines have been shredded, I guess, or chucked in the garbage, or maybe some garbage man took them and said, hey, look how cool these are. I'm going to keep them. Too bad for the idiot that threw them out. And uh, he got very excited about that, whoever, the recycling man or the garbage man that picked them up. Uh, but... Um, I'm going to post this in the show notes there. I found a really good website that has all these magazines scanned. And I think I may have come across this website when I decided that it was okay to throw them out since they were all scanned anyway. And on my big giant iPad, it looks like I just have the magazine in my hands anyway. So I'm pretty happy about that. Using your tech for good purposes. Yeah, I was, uh, I looked through the, um, a couple of old DGMs today at lunchtime, uh, just on my desktop at work. It was great really thrilling lunch i already got there it was uh one with ninja gaiden 2 on the cover oh so throwing that all the way back to the nes oh yeah it was uh it was the one i talked to you about that i had been reading on the beach that one those two that there was the ninja gaiden one and then later on the uh the terminator 2 one i remember looking at those the super nes was not out yet and they were uh talking about the super famicon in uh in uh hushed tones uh, did I say Famicom or is it Famicom? It's wow. Famicom. Yeah, I know. Whoops. Uh, are you going to kick me off the podcast now? Well, we're going to have a vote after the podcast. We'll see where that goes. All right. I think it'll end up in a tie. Right. <laughs> so um, needless to say, the scans are in the show notes for anyone who's interested in taking a look. Um, how many issues are there in the end? I think they're almost all there that I could tell. All the ones, all the classic ones that I remembered having were there. You made a very interesting point today about um, how uh, early video game journalism really was kind of uh, lackluster, for lack of a better word, I feel like is the best word to use. We couldn't even call it journalism at that point. The The writing um, on websites now uh, has become quite good. And <laughs> I think some of them uh, stray into the almost pretentiousness at this point, uh, some of the uh, games websites, I find. But... Uh, there are the writings improved significantly, and I honestly hardly read any gaming sites at all anymore, unless you kind of send me a um, send me a, a link about something. But because uh, I listen to mostly podcasts, right? I think we established that. So, uh, do you listen to podcasts? I, I do from time to time. How many hours per week of content are you downloading? Do you think podcast wise? Yeah, like with without you speeding it up. Oh, geez, dozens and dozens of hours. Dozens of hours. Dozens, yeah, for sure. It pretty much... So while I work, I can listen all day, pretty much. And I'm almost never out of podcasts. How does that feel to know that there's always more content? 
so yeah, it's funny how my uh, there's a huge queue in my uh, Overcast uh, app. I I kind of get nervous and I start freaking out that I'm not going to be able to catch up to all my podcasts. I always do, obviously. And look, I don't listen to every episode of every show that I that I subscribe to. There's some that are must listens, obviously, but there's some shows that I skip over. Uh, a lot of the um, I listen to some of the. Um, the Pod Save America crew there, the Crooked Media people, uh, which is a little too political sometimes, so I kind of skip over them, but I do find them entertaining. And um, the NPR stuff, I, I don't always listen to because it could be... <laughs> I, I think it's been established at this point, even though uh, NPR has really good shows, sometimes they get kind of boring. Well, there's a lot of talking like this and discussing things in a very sterile tone. Yeah. They're not excited like we are about stuff. Exactly. Let's get excited about different things. You got really excited about something else this week, a, a brand new project of yours that kind of ties into all these old EGMs. Video game news. So we had talked about getting, uh, I was going to get a, a Raspberry Pi, and it was delivered on a Saturday of all days, which is kind of odd from Amazon. It's the first time in the many years I order something from Amazon that I get it on a Saturday. So let's uh, let's quickly pause and go into that, right? So Amazon Canada um, usually uses Canada Post, but they're, in Montreal, they're using a, a local company called Intelcom, which is a horrible company to deal with as someone who orders semi-regularly from Amazon. They actually use... So I looked them up the first time I'd seen that this company was going to deliver it, and they're all over Canada, actually. Um, I saw complaints in Edmonton and uh, Calgary and Toronto how horrible the service is. Now, um, just to say, the four or five times they've delivered to me, they've been great. It was only the first time there was a bit of weirdness where the man that delivered the package uh, asked my wife to fill up a bottle of water. Uh, and she said, no, well, I can go fill, I can give you an actual bottle if you want. And she, he said, no, no, it's for the radiator in my car because his delivery car was overheating. So this company basically just uh, contracts out people and they use their own vehicles to deliver these packages. And the way I understand it is the more packages you deliver, the more you get paid because uh, I've had packages left under grocery flyers in the front door, like outside on the street. Just like that? Yeah, just like that, yeah. Just like that. I hmm, found them in my recycling bin um, without <laughs> any notice. Like I've, I've gone searching because I go to Amazon.ca and take a look and see that the order has been delivered and sure enough you know it's not in the front door it's not the recycling bin it's not in the so yeah it took me 20 minutes to find out that it had been been put in my uh in the apartment building's recycling bin let me just put it in this dumpster right here that's that's smart so there's a lot of that but anyway so you have a raspberry pi in your hands so yeah they um they delivered it it was uh nice and neatly packaged it was an actual set so i had the the circuit board itself, I guess. The motherboard, what do you call it, I guess? Yeah. A little case. Internet. Um, what? <laughs> I said internet. Like <laughs> It's an internet. Yes, I yeah. got an internet. <laughs> and <laughs> I put it in the case. I plugged it in. I had ordered a 32 gigabyte micro SD card. And uh, I guess that was probably the most complicated part, but I kind of knew what I was doing. I, I had already downloaded uh, RetroPie. Uh, the the disk image of it, I flashed it to a SD card using uh, an app called um, Apple Pie Baker, which is the one for Mac. It was very easy to use. 
and then I put it into the Raspberry Pi and set up. The, the hardest part of the setup was actually getting the PS3 controller to work with Bluetooth. And when I look that up online, a lot of people have issues with that. It's not the easiest thing and or the most intuitive. It's not like just plugging into a PlayStation 3, right? And the, the PS3 controllers are a little finicky with the Bluetooth, but it works and it's great. And um, it really wasn't all that bad. And now that it's set up, it's pretty much just there. I don't really have to do much with it. It's a lot easier to use than uh, most regular computers. It's not as appliance-like as uh, SNES Classic would be, but we're deprived of those here in Quebec once they do get released. But yeah, the kids thought it was kind of neat. My son keeps calling it an apple pie, and I keep correcting him, uh, but he thinks it's really cool. And we actually played through a game of my youth called Castle of Illusion starring Mickey Mouse. And they loved it. How was that for you? It was fun, too. That's a really good old Genesis game. And they had a great time with it. But I must say that having save states really helps you. <laughs> I could definitely agree with that. As someone who has been uh, using computer emulation to play old consoles for you know almost 15 years at this point, or more than 15 years pretty much, uh, save states can sometimes be a godsend. And right now uh, we're working through Mega Man 2, which they really, really enjoy. Did you ever beat Me- any of the early Mega Mans as a kid? Yeah, I beat Mega Man 2. Okay. Uh, not Mega Man 1. Well, Mega Man 1 was significantly more difficult than Mega Man 2. Right, and I feel they, like it's, uh, it's kind of... All the NES Mega Mans, I think, are, are sort of difficult to you know towards the end with the boss rush. Mega Man 2, as long as you get that metal blade, you're in good shape. <laughs> Is that your hot tip of the week? Yeah, met, uh, yeah. First, first guy to beat in Mega Man Two. Tip of the day: Go beat Metal Man. This is <laughs> Video Arcade Top Ten, two thousand seventeen. Talking about issues though with the Raspberry Pi, the the most the thing that bothered me the most uh, was the fact that I noticed that I'd been playing NES games. Mega Man looked fine, and then I went to play one of my all time favorites, uh, Castlevania, and I looked in the top corner. It said Core and Layer. I said, "What the hell is that?" And I realized the S and the P were missing, so it's supposed to say score and player. So there was about, I'd say about four or five pixels width cut off from the side, and it was most most noticeable in that. So I had to look up how to fix that, and it was just a very simple fix, but it just, uh, that was like one of the major issues I had. And the other is with um, the so-called scraper, where it kind of gets box art from the internet and descriptions of the game, which is... It really makes uh, makes it a lot more classy than just seeing file names scrolling up and down your screen. Uh, and it looks really good. And I can report that using a Raspberry Pi 3, there's absolutely no lag with the, uh, the wireless PS3 controller. It works really, really well. There you go. So that was my nostalgia bomb of the week. If anyone out there has a RetroPie setup that wants to share with us, you can go ahead and do that through social media. So you can at us on Twitter at double underscore density, facebook.com slash double density podcast. And the same thing, tag us on Instagram at double density podcast. We'd love to see your setup as well as your top three games that you love playing with your RetroPie. You can even go to our contact page on doubledensity.net. Double Density presents The Three Titans.
Density. We're back here on Double Density, and we're going to switch gears from the past, you know, looking through things with rose-colored nostalgic glasses all the way to the future. Uh, in this case, uh, September 12th, a very special day, which Angelo has definitely circled on his calendar. It's the day of the uh, big fall Apple event, well, where they're going to announce uh, probably three new iPhones as opposed to the normal uh, it used to be one, then it became two. Now it looks like it'll be three. And I, so I'm kind of excited about the new iPhones. I'm not planning on getting one. What's pretty exciting, though, is that it's the first one at Apple Park in the Steve Jobs Theater. And I'm pretty excited to see how they unveil that, actually, of all things, because it's, it's going to be a theater they've created specifically for these types of events. So tailor-made to them. Two things about this event. One, they can't pick a, a better name for the event. Well, what, what, why? What do you, what's the name of the event? Well, I mean, it's just the Apple Fall. It's, just, you know, it's the, the keynote. It's the September 2017 keynote. They think, you know, you can maybe class it up a bit, maybe give it a better name. They don't even call it that. They just, like, you're, they just invite people to the campus. To the, I don't think it really has a name. We kind of just name it that, uh, the, the Fall Apple event. They used to call it, like, they would have the music event and the iPhone event. I think, I guess this would be the iPhone event. They're unveiling uh, the final features of iOS 11. Uh, they might even talk about some Mac stuff, some Apple TV stuff. I th- the, the big rumor is the 4K Apple TV also. Although, well, I wouldn't call it a big rumor. It's like the thing that nobody really cares about, but they're going to kind of talk about anyway. Um, but the major thing right now is the, the iPhone 8, right? So, it's, so there are three different models coming out in theory, right? That's the theory. Uh, the iPhone, the iPhone Plus, and the iPhone Pro, or some people are saying the iPhone Edition. I don't know. I think they're going to go with Pro. Uh, just to kind of keep it simple, right? There's the iPad and the iPad Pro, the Mac and the MacBook Pro, and all that stuff. So, well, I mean, the addition doesn't really mean anything to, yeah, in terms of nomenclature, right? Like when I hear the it's iPhone the phone, edition, it's the watch. Really... It's the watch, right? The, the the high-end watch is called the Apple Watch Edition, right? But Apple Watch Edition. So I feel like maybe, you know, there's there's a better name there, but I, you know, I'm for very sure. interested and to see. Yeah, I think I really think. Um, they're going to call it the iPhone and the, and the iPhone Pro. And I'm kind of hoping they drop the numbers like I've been mentioning for weeks at this point and a lot of other people have been speculating that. The other new speculation is that it's not going to be the 7S like it should be. It's going to be just straight to the 8. Oh, really? So they're going to hop? Well, yeah. I mean, the it, people have been saying S, S becomes a mouthful, right, at a certain point. Uh, I have an iPhone 6S. Then you get the iPhone 6S Plus. Now the 7S Plus. Who knows? But one thing's for sure is there's going to be three iPhones. That's that's the thing with all the rumors and the leaks that seem to have happened because of that silly uh, HomePod firmware debacle that they had a few weeks ago. Uh, everybody pretty much knows sort of what this iPhone's going to look like. They just don't know what... The, the big surprise will be the name, I guess, but even that, it'll probably be the Pro, and how they're going to kind of handle not having the Home button that's been there since the beginning. Uh, do you have any thoughts on that, Brian? Like the home button, do you do you really care about it? You had an Android phone that technically didn't really have a home button, right? You had the software buttons. Well, I mean, it, it had a it had a, a back to main screen button, so it kind of did have a home button, yeah. So this will it'll be really interesting to see how Apple implements that. Uh, there's other rumors going around now that there's little uh, there's like a little bar at the bottom that you kind of flip upwards, sort of on how um, multitasking works on the uh, iOS 11 on the iPads. So it's it's all up in the air, uh, but at the end of the day, I'm not going to be buying this phone, right? Because my 6s plus is my 6s is working great. 
Right. So I want you to do me a favor. Okay. Do me a favor. Okay. I'll do you a favor. There you go. Yes. <laughs> do me a favor. Uh, I want you to close your eyes. Okay. Okay. They're closed. Okay. So uh, on Tuesday, when they're unveiling things, what do you want to hear from Apple apart from these iPhones? Like, what is your dream? Okay. I'm opening my eyes now. I don't want to be lying to you. Um, so there's a, a dream that probably nobody cares about other than me, but I'm, uh, I, I use their iCloud storage, right? And I'm at the 200 gigabyte tier. They used to have, um, a 500 gigabyte tier and a one terabyte tier. Now it's either 200 gigabytes or multiply that by 10 and get, uh, two terabytes. I don't need two terabytes. Well, not yet. So I, I'd really like to see some more options in iCloud and maybe lowering the prices. Say, hey, you know what? We're going to get rid of 200. Now y'all get 500 gigabytes for the same price. That would be great. Like Oprah style? Like, you know, she gets up and you get 500 you get a gigabyte. Gigabyte. Yeah, You get 500 you get gigs. Yeah. I, every time somebody mentions Oprah, I just picture that, that uh, gif of her saying, y'all get bees. And then everybody <laughs> gets bees. Uh, That'll, that'll be something. So your your big kind of tangential um, uh, Apple keynote dream is uh, a tier of iCloud storage for your oh, 60 billion photos. The most boring dream. It's like the most ho-hum, like really boring dream. <laughs> You're but, still hoping for Apple lasers or Apple, uh, I don't know, like drones. An Apple TV, an actual TV, Apple microphones, Apple drums. But yeah. So you're just trying to recreate Apple rock band right there. Oh yeah, look at that. <laughs> that would be crazy if Tim Cook comes out and says, you know what, we're not updating the iPhone, but we have a new rhythm game for everyone. <laughs> um, so for me, I, I mean, you know, I'll, I'll pay attention to some of the Apple stuff, but it really, like, I, my computing needs are, are satisfied right now, right? Like, I got my SE recently. I have my, uh, my Mac laptop from 2012 that's still running great. So, you know, like, for me, it's nice to see what's going on, but I'm not actively involved because I'm not actively searching for anything. I agree. I'm not either. I, uh, I'm not one that has to update his phone every year. Uh, right now, the uh, projected plans are for uh, an update maybe in March or April. So they're kind of like mid-cycle, right? So it's, it's about six months before the, the next event or so. So I, I think that'll be fine. At, uh, February, March, I'll be okay. I definitely don't have to update my Mac. It's, it's relatively new. Uh, I just got an iPad, so I'm I'm all kind of uh, upgraded out at this point. I have a 720p TV, uh, so that's how much we really care about watching TV in my house. So I don't need a 4K Apple TV. Um, no, I'm I'm all set with that stuff. It's just fun to see what's going to happen and what Apple's going to do next. Well, you may want to get a 4K TV if uh, certain rumors are true. So apparently Apple wants to purchase the right to the James Bond franchise. That's That was some really weird news. So we're recording this on Wednesday, September 6th. And that's some news that came out today that uh, apart from Warner trying to get the rights from Sony, which I think they expired after the last movie in 2015, uh, Apple and Amazon are trying to get these rights. And... It's kind of sad. Well, it's kind of funny when Warner's like the little guy in this. 
I definitely think it's an interesting uh, bidding war of sorts. And I mean, this kind of just popped up today, so I don't know um, too much about the ins and outs of it. But yeah, um, post Spectre, which was the last Bond movie, the rights have been sort of floating around from studio to studio uh, in terms of like interested partners, right? So I guess Apple wants to get into the content creation game and getting a big fish like the James Bond franchise would be huge for them in terms of content. But the question is, how are you going to make it available, right? So through the iTunes store through a Apple TV with certain specific exclusive channels like that's kind of something that could be explored in the future because the game right now is all about content creation um, you know with things like Netflix and the aforementioned Amazon and that's the whole thing with Apple right now they're they're in a weird place iTunes is pretty much a disaster on uh, the Mac and a lot of people the, the big hope and dream like the my real answer for that should have been like a total revamp of iTunes on the Mac. That should have been my hope and dream other than my super boring uh, 500 gigabyte answer. But uh, the other thing is, is all their video content too, like Carpool Karaoke and uh, and what's that stupid thing they have, the planet of the, the apps? It's all through Apple Music, which makes no sense. I guess Carpool Karaoke sort of has to do with music. I guess it does, but it's still their content. They're going to have to figure out what are they going to do? Are they going to do... Uh, more under the Apple Music brand, or are they going to just do Apple Entertainment and just lump everything in together? So for your nine 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 a month Apple Music subscription, it changes to this Apple Entertainment thing that you get video and music, and uh, instead of having the iTunes Store, like you can still rent movies from there, but then you'll have a certain amount that you can stream as part of your package. Who knows where they're going? Apple's been trying to get into this game for years, it seems like, and they seem to have struck it really uh, big with music and they nailed that uh, negotiation, but they're having so much trouble. It seems like uh, the media companies have figured out Apple's game and they don't want to get uh, uh, screwed over like they did with uh, iTunes. Right. And I think that uh, one interesting thing that you were saying before is the price point, right? So I think that like in order for them to brand video and audio content together, I think it'd be a higher price point per month. Right, so not. you'd be looking at fifteen to twenty bucks a month, I think. Um, I hope not. I like the nine ninety nine, for sure. But I think at the same time, like if you're looking to create content, content isn't cheap, right? Especially video content. I mean, look how much Netflix is in the red right now. Uh, you know, because of the fact that they're creating so much content, um, that they're hoping the long game is that they'll see profits uh, with a larger library uh, down the line. You see, Apple has a has an advantage here, though. They can lower the price of their services to drive the sales of their hardware. So if you want Apple Media, whatever they're going to call it, you have to buy an iPhone, and that's where they make all their money. You have to buy either an iPhone or an iPad or a Mac or an Apple TV. So they're going to recoup whatever they lose in terms of the subscription value on their hardware, whereas Netflix doesn't have that kind of advantage. There's also the matter of Apple has so much money at this point, and they're making it so so quickly that you know forcing people to pay an extra 20 bucks which people might not when netflix is 9.99 a month they may actually keep it at that or they might have two separate services right they'll have a video one and they'll have a music one that and, a, sense, and a bundle maybe. or or a bundle yeah so you'd say video is 9.99 music's 9.99 if you want both together you get 15.99 that makes sense actually 
I definitely do think you make a very valid point in terms of like Apple has this like end to end kind of game going on, right? From hardware to software and apps and uh, the experience itself. And I think we're beyond a point, you know, where a couple of years ago where it looked like there were going to be several platforms where there was going to be sharing of, of content. And I think that like it's going to revert back to, ironically enough, um, sort of like the same thing as like a cable package almost of like uh, walled gardened um, content, right? I mean, we we're talking about a couple episodes ago, like the Disney uh, channel in the States, um, they're pulling all their stuff off of Netflix and putting it in their own space, right? HBO goes the same thing, right? And if Apple decides to launch themselves into that, right? Like there's no way that any Apple content is going to show up on any other streaming service. No. So I think it's kind of ironic that like we've, we're we past that point of like shared content. And I think we're slowly going back um, through these uh, different channels for different content. And it seems like they don't learn that when you make things more difficult to obtain people start just pirating again. Uh, you know, music pirating stopped quite a bit when iTunes made it so easy for you to just buy your music. It, it was pretty much a joke. And now with content and making and getting content from the internet, uh, if you know where to go, is pretty easy, wouldn't you say? www.internet.com Exactly. You go there and you get all this stuff for free but if, like, I don't really download movies or TV shows because I watch most of the stuff I want to watch is on Netflix. So, because Netflix is so easy, it kind of dissuades me from wanting to pirate anything. Well, funnily enough, I just, um, so uh, we have a Roku TV, so I started um, looking into channels recently, and there's a ton of channels out there with a lot of free content, um, if you're willing to sit through like a 15 second ad at every 15 or 20 minutes. So there's a lot of other stuff out there that isn't just public domain stuff, it actually like acquired the rights to stream uh, for free in exchange for an ad. So I thought that was very interesting. Yeah, 15, 15 second ads. There, there's, I watch so much on YouTube, and I uh, because we don't have access to YouTube Red here, I don't mind sitting through the ads that pop up from time to time. So it's, they, they need to make these things easy for people to access and want to watch. So if you start confusing things, it becomes a lot more difficult. And everybody keeps saying, well, Apple should buy Netflix and Apple should buy Disney. And it's silly to buy those companies. Those companies don't want to be bought. And it's, why would Apple want to just take money and throw it in a dumpster at that point by buying Netflix? It's, Apple's best served by keeping Netflix separate and using them as uh, something on their on their devices. Where Apple makes all their money is through their hardware, and that's why I'm saying that it wouldn't really hurt them to just add these services as sort of like a value-added thing. So if you have an iPhone, well, you can get Apple services for a lot cheaper. Although they're not... I guess their iCloud storage has become a lot cheaper. They used to be the most expensive, and now they're pretty much all the same. As you were uh, mentioning before... Exactly. <laughs> so quickly pivoting, uh, if you could suggest to Apple to buy a couple of properties or brands in light of this James Bond news, uh, do you have any like suggestions for them? Because I have a couple. Jeez, you're putting me on the spot. There's so many options here. Okay, I'll give you two straight off the bat, okay? Okay, go, go for it. Captain Planet. <laughs> okay. Biker Mice from Mars. Uh, I would. Those would not have been my first choices. <laughs> I feel like they're obscure-ish um, properties that could use a revamp. Same thing with Samurai Pizza Cats. Where are you pulling these out uh, from? I just, I just thought back to like my childhood and what needs a good revamp, like Street Sharks. Well, you know what? As actually, you're reminding me. Uh, my wife was just saying that uh, the Magic School Bus is getting uh, a new Netflix release. 
Right, and have you seen the trailers for that? The animation looks like hot garbage, so I'm not really interested in turning into that. Oh no, I have not. I was I was kind of looking forward to it. That's sad. I saw a bunch of tweets today that suggested that it was like flash level animation. Oh no, that makes so, me sad. Oh yeah, because uh, my daughter and I have been watching. You know what? You, you kind of sounded jokey saying those things, but you actually bring up a good point. My daughter and I have been really enjoying the new Voltron series on Netflix. There you go. So here's something that Netflix bought. I'm going to throw one last one out there and I want you to think about it. Okay. Family Matters. Oh, wow. Time to bring it back. Yeah. I'm I'm surprised actually Netflix didn't buy that because they have Full House and they can just do a whole bunch of like the extended (laughs) Full House universe. Just the whole TJF universe? Yeah, actually, I'm getting that wrong, right? Because... um, Family Matters is a spin-off of Perfect, Perfect Strangers. Strangers because uh, Harriet was the elevator operator at wherever Larry worked. And I can't, was he at a newspaper? I can't Am remember, but right? I do remember that she was the elevator operator, you're right. Yeah, and, uh, and her husband was um, uh, John McClane's partner from uh, <laughs> Die Hard. Reginald Val Reginald. Reginald Vell. Isn't it Reg, Reginald Vell Johnson? Is it? I just refer to him as Reg, Reggie. Reggie from Family Matters. You know that man. So yeah, I mean, there's that step by step. Uh, I mean, Full House is already done. Uh, the, so yeah, there's a, a bunch of TGIF properties that are up in the air. I mean, obviously, ABC probably still owns the, the copyright uh, for the concepts or the, the idea of TGIF. But I mean, at this time, they can sort of dance around it and pick that up. Yeah, for sure. And uh, we've got some uh, some hot news coming in, Brian. Hit me with it. We just got a a, a tweet by uh, from Alexandre saying, uh, "Glad we love Fireside," and uh, he's happy that he intense insistently pushed it on us. There we go. So, uh, there so there we, we go. go. Thanks again. <laughs> hot news flash. Speaking yeah. of a hot news flash, though, I just got a, a couple of texts a couple of hours ago because a friend's dormant Instagram account was hacked by Russians because I was trying to tag a friend of mine in the post. And I started typing his name in, and I noticed that my other friend who had uh, gone off Instagram last year, his profile was there, and it was full, and it started following a bunch of people, so I quickly alerted him to that fact, so he did some digging around. It seems like um, the email address that is now in place is a .ru email address for the account, so he's a little miffed about that, so he's uh, filing a report with Instagram right now. These Russians, they're like all over the place at this point. They're just uh, taking over the interwebs, the cyber, if you will. Here's my hot tip of the week. Change your passwords. Change them. Regularly. Or use a password manager. Right, either or. Before. Either or, yes. just use something. It just makes all the difference. If Brian took me into a dark room and like... Watch held, your words. Uh, held, held, well, held a rock over my iPad and said, I'm going to destroy <laughs> this iPad if you, don't give you, if you don't give me your passwords. I wouldn't be able to give him my passwords and my as, poor iPad. As if destroyed. you don't have iPad insurance in triplicate already. I wonder if it covers like threatening uh, <laughs> password crazies. Uh, that's something know. we can look into and we'll report back next week to that. Does that sound good to you? We will, we will take a look at it again. Double Density presents the sounds of your youth. Welcome back to Double Dancing. As always, we're switching gears from tech to the paranormal. So this week, the first thing we'd like to do is we'd like to acknowledge a screw-up. 
So last week we were talking about uh, Wright Patterson Air Force Base. I made a comment that the government, or I can't remember if it was you or I, had made a comment about how Area 51 in the eyes of the government did not exist. And of course, big shout out to Rob on Twitter, your UFO guy, for pointing out the fact that the government did actually admit that Area 51 existed back in 2013. And we'll link down to a Washington Post article uh, explaining that the government had indeed admitted that it existed, but not that its purpose was there. See, I thought I had heard about that. I think it was you had uh, mentioned that it was uh, not something that the government admitted to. And I thought I heard about it, but I I trust you implicitly when it comes to paranormal stuff. Because as everybody knows, 20 episodes in, you're the paranormal guy. I kind of like, I'm just along for the ride with the paranormal stuff. Right, you're the iCloud guy. Yes, I'm the iCloud guy, hoping and dreaming for 500 gigabytes. Big shout out to Rob for pointing that out. And it was an interesting article for a couple of reasons. I mean, it kind of got me thinking, though, like, um, and obviously, like, once you start reading the comment section, it's just a vortex (laughs) of of weird uh, arguing and, like, statements and et cetera, et cetera. But it got me thinking, you know, like, if the government was admitting and acknowledging that Area 51 existed, is there a reason behind that? You go to think that, well, they're admitting to that, but who knows all the other places that we haven't even thought about or know about. They, you know, they can own an island off the coast of some other island that we don't know exists. And uh, well, I guess we know the island exists, but we don't know what's on there. But it, I guess it's kind of hard to hide these things now with Google Earth unless they pay off Google. Hmm. Oh, that's an interesting... So you're going deeper in this rabbit hole. So basically, look, we don't know... M- Mere humans like us that don't know everything about everything, we don't know if we're like scanning a piece of of the the Atlantic on Google Earth and it's been scrubbed free of whatever actual island is there, and um, we just see ocean, but instead there's like Area Fifty Seven there. You going up to Fifty Seven now? I like this. I guess Area S Eight. Area S Eight. Is it made by Samsung? <laughs> the, the Edge Seven Island. Yes, it just um, the naming. Fire. I, you know, if the naming rights are up, you know, like the black budget uh, has shrunk considerably, so they're looking for corporate sponsors out there. <laughs> Samsung presents Area Fifty Seven. <laughs> but I mean, it gets me really thinking. Like, you know, the fact that they did admit that Area Fifty One is a place that existed. Um, it probably is, is because they have probably newer places or other places that aren't as well known or advertised at all that do similar work, which is usually you and I can both agree, and I think we've agreed upon the fact that like, not necessarily uh, extraterrestrial, but a lot of R and D happens in these places. That's right? where that's where it all happens. All the things that uh, you know, we always say that the military's ten years ahead. But they they don't have uh, 500 gigabytes of iCloud. Uh, they say they're 10 years ahead of us, but who knows how far ahead they can be at this point with how quickly technology's progressed over the years. Who's to say they don't have like cloaking devices now? Like uh, there's soldiers that have become invisible on uh, on the battlefield, things like that. They're, that's the stuff they're probably testing at these areas. They don't have aliens locked up in some freezer somewhere. If you'd like, uh, if you're currently uh, involved in a black budget project and would like to leak to us, you can definitely do that through our website, doubledensity.net, and click on contact. You can email us at doubledensitypodcast at gmail.com or hit us up on our socials. We would love, um, you know, to break some news here. Yeah, send us some uh, redacted documents to our uh, contact page on uh, doubledensity.net. We'll, we'll handle them with care. We promise. We won't leak them. Nothing gets ufologists excited like thick black marker on a page. Yeah, they, 
so I, I've seen, I remember, you know how often Larry King would have like ufologists on there. It was, it was always entertaining. And, you know, Stanton Friedman would show up and just drop a stack of papers. Like, well, look at all this. It's all redacted. And like Bill Nye would come on and say, it's redacted because they don't want you to see like people's phone numbers and things like that. That's all that's redacted. And then they would argue, cosmic water great, and so on and so forth. So what you're saying here is that uh, you don't necessarily believe a man walking around with a stack of papers has a valid point. It's just it's just there. It doesn't necessarily mean it's anything special. Uh, but that that does bring us to something interesting when it comes to these uh, different players in ufology, I guess. Uh, there's a few camps, right? There's there's the ones that we can't take seriously. There's the ones that are kind of semi-serious. And then there's also um, a separate camp like for skeptics, right? But um, what do you think of that? Do you have any, any um, sort of thoughts on how s- different ufologists treat the topic and how serious some are and how s- completely out there some others are? I have many thoughts about this. Let me try and figure out how to put this. (laughs) Um, I guess there are a lot of people who get taken in and then suddenly their credibility is placed into question because they are part of a narrative that suggests a hoax or just um, something that is untrue. Like someone like, you know, like an Ed Dames, right? Who you know is not of sound mind or body uh, when it comes to a lot of these proclamations that he's making, right? He's the remote viewing guy, right? Yeah, he's Dr. Doom. He's the guy who says, hey, you know, the, you know, the kill shot's coming. Uh, Nibiru is going to hit us. Uh, you know, uh, it, we're going to hit the end of the world in like 1997, 1998, 1999, 2000, et cetera, et cetera. Eventually he'll be right. Well, I mean, the law of averages kind of works out in his way. But yeah, at the same time, like it's just uh, it's not going to end well in his world, according to him. Right. So, you know, when you listen to him, then like suddenly it's just like we were talking about end time prophecies a couple episodes ago. And suddenly, you know, these uh, prophecies obviously are false because we're still here. Um, So you start to wonder, hey, what's what's the deal with that? Right. Yeah. There's there's all these weird camps that keep saying the same thing over and over and over again. And you kind of forget and you think, oh, you know, he's been saying that for a few years. But like when you look uh, that whole. what was it? The um, the Journalist Club or whatever. What what was that thing where Stephen Greer came out and trotted out all these people to talk about uh, UFO disclosure? That was like in oh, right. two thousand three or something at this point. Yeah, I mean it's it's fifteen years ago at this point. And he keeps saying that a disclosure is going to come, or that they're working on it. He has all these things where uh, the Clinton administration was working with him, and people were coming to him, and and so I kind of this came up. Because I watched um, Unacknowledged on Netflix. It just popped up. Uh, Which is? It, well, it is Stephen Greer's newest documentary. And it's terrible. After his Alien Baby documentary. Yeah, I kind of uh, touched upon that. And the crazy thing is, there's, there's people that are, are well-known that kind of buy into this. Like John Podesta. Like, number one, going back to passwords, he doesn't know how to use passwords, that man. But he's also, like, obsessed with... He also runs a child pedophile ring. You know this, right? Well, let's not get into that. I think that's not necessarily true. But he's... Well, speaking of conspiracies, I mean, that's an interesting one. But we'll talk about that another time. Yeah. Probably not. Let's hope. Let's let's not, right? Uh, But... uh, He's he's always been into finding out if there's UFOs, and I think Clinton, the Clintons, were always interested in that. You see, and in the and acknowledge well, someone had asked 
uh, Hillary's campaign last year when she was running that if she went to office, like, would she be a, a, a fan of disclosure? And she said, absolutely. I would come to the public with whatever we have on hand. Well, Stephen Greer and John Podesta, who was running her campaign, uh, according to this documentary anyway, seemed to be uh, friendly with each other. And uh, they kept showing clips uh, from the, the Jimmy Kimmel show where he always asks uh, people who come on his show in a position of power. So he's asked Obama, he's asked Clinton, he's asked uh, Hillary Clinton as well. Uh, where are the aliens? Uh, what do we know about them? And uh, they always kind of play it off uh, as a joke. But I think uh, Jimmy Kimmel's sort of semi-serious and... Uh, Stephen Greer played this off in his uh, unacknowledged documentary as kind of like proof that uh, they know something, but they don't want to disclose it. Well, for sure. So I think another sort of aspect of this is anyone who sets a timetable and doesn't follow through, right? So, you know, going back to Ed Dames, he kept saying XYZ on X date will happen, right? And it never, it never came through, right? So a lot of these people who do set uh, prophetic dates and uh, don't see it through, I think are um, more under scrutiny than ever they all do this that's the thing uh well not all of them right there's the so the camp that we're talking about right now the the stephen greers of the world they're the ones who make these big proclamations and say this is coming we're gonna find out that's why it's kind of fun to watch these types of documentaries and then go back and watch even older ones from like the 80s or whatever and talking about these uh, what we're going to discover and when they release these documents in the 90s and the 2000s and beyond. But we're there now. We're in the future. We have nothing. Nothing's happened. I think, I think the best definition between the two camps, right, is uh, people who make statements with exclamation points, like Stephen Greer, okay. and people who make statements with question marks at the end um, who are more apt to do a lot more research. So somebody like Kevin Randall, um, Stanton Friedman to a certain lesser extent. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, see, and those, that's the thing. I like those guys. Those are the ones that uh, we've mentioned before. Stanton Friedman seems like a nice guy. Um, but they're the ones that seem a lot more thoughtful about this. Now, do I agree with them? I don't necessarily agree with them on, on this stuff. I think it's, it's something else. But uh, they're a lot more rational. Stephen Greer seems like somebody that you really don't want to cross. And you don't want to disagree with him in his face because he might punch you. Or am I wrong? <laughs> no, you're not wrong. I feel like he has a really good laugh too, like a robotic laugh. He's so the thing with him is he's extremely charming. Even in the video, it comes off as somebody who's who's who. If he talks to you, he'll like kind of like take you into his uh, his orbit and and make you believe what he wants you to believe. He's like almost like Steve Jobs with the the reality distortion field, where like he would would make you uh you know like if the antenna on your phone doesn't work it's not the phone's fault it's you're holding it wrong things like that right I, I, it's a cult of personality thing too right absolutely yes stephen greer for sure right he's i always get again uh poor i always get him confused with poor stephen bassett but greer's the one who communicates with ufos with flashlights correct correct yeah the man who has um how much is it to go to one of his like weekend retreats like it's a couple hundred bucks at least yeah, right hundreds, hundreds of, but i think didn't he get a john podesta to come with him once Oh, probably wouldn't surprise me at all, actually. Oh, this is so weird when you find out these people in a position of power are like UFO nuts. Right. Well, one of my favorites is uh, uh, Tom DeLong, the guy <laughs> from Blink-182, right? He's, he, he set a timetable for himself earlier this year that he's going to disclose all of these UFO documents within 60 days. And I think right now we're at 100 plus days. So I don't know Again, time where tables. the documents are at, but Tom DeLong, let us know. 
timetables never work out. One of the more interesting um, face-offs, I guess, would be that you put down as Richard Doty versus Richard Dolan, which I thought was hilarious. Yeah, so those are the, like so Stephen Greer, Stephen Bassett, Richard Doty, Richard Dolan. I get those two confused, but Richard Doty's the kind of like the nutty one. Richard Dolan's the one who used to work for the military, or I think they both did. I don't know. They're, I get them all confused. Well, Richard Doty used to apparently work for the CIA, and like a lot of people are claiming that he's just a disinformation agent, which I... Uh, don't necessarily believe in the whole disinformation narrative on this, and I just think that he's an attention seeker. Um, that's just my opinion on the thing, though. Like they all sort of start like just turning into one person in your head. It's just like this weird brown. Of, you know when you used to mix col- mix colors, and like you'd you'd mix the the play doh, and then it would all just turn into like this brown play doh. It's just like this brown <laughs> play doh of ufology. So the brown, the brown. Plato ball of ufology is what you're going yeah, there with this. Exactly. <laughs> Another interesting one that you put down is Jim Mars Richard versus Richard C. Hoagland. I think it's a really good one. I think we talked about Jim Mars who recently passed away, so I had mentioned that. Um, who had written like the definitive uh, tome, I think, on the JFK assassination with Crossfire. And he's written fun books like Alien Agenda. And the, the funny thing about things like Alien Agenda is if you go back in time and read that, there's a lot of um, dates uh, being set in there um, that came to pass that, you know, n- nothing happened. So... You know, and, um, and he's owned up to it. So, so the budding ufology, ufologist listening to this podcast, lesson, do not set dates. Make it vague. So, the, okay, so let's do this, right? So if you are interested in breaking in as a figure of ufology, if you want to become, you know, a uh, Nick Begich or a Kevin Randall, as you were saying. Yeah, I like um, Kevin Randall. So there's, there's a couple of things, right? So don't make date-specific references. Yeah, number one. Don't make the statements you make have to be plausible and not wholly outrageous, right? Because then you get into Raelian territory, and that's a whole other thing. Yeah, you don't want to be like Billy Meyer or uh, or or the Raelians or the right. That, well, that. speaking of Billy Meyer, right? Apparently, Michael Horn was was saying that September twenty first, I think, is the uh, the the date in which the Pleiadians are coming to visit us. Yeah. So see things like that make you sound crazy. So you don't believe that the Pleiadians? I are coming. do not. September twenty first. That's. Yeah, Mike, I'm busy that weekend. So, <laughs> but that's, see, like things like that. So, like, okay, so they're like at a, the, so there's like four camps at this point, right? So there's the total crazies like that. Then there's semi sort of uh, obnoxiously nutty like Stephen Greer. Then there's the more plausible ones like Kevin Randall. Well, much more actually. Kevin Randall, I'd say, like, is pretty legitimate. Uh, let's say like Stephen Bassett, maybe. And then there's like the the skeptics and hard scientists like Carl Sagan and uh, uh, let's say like Bill Nye and those people. Four camps is that about right? I guess. Yeah, I think you cover most of the overlap of, of anyone who's interested in ufology, right? In terms of like where you lie in your belief system. And where, where? So yeah, let me ask you that, Brian. Where do you lie? I think we're gonna go hang out with like the the non sciencey skeptic. So like the, like the man who wants to believe like Kevin Randall sort of. Yeah. Like at that level, like there's, there's something going on and there seems to be a proof that this is what it is, but I don't necessarily buy into it. Right. Okay. And I'll be a bit to the left of that. So more, uh, let's say closer to Carl Sagan, uh, but right. in between because, uh, yeah, Carl Sagan was a bit of a hard ass when it came to the UFO stuff, but I still, he's still my favorite guy. And anyone who actually, um, you know, uh, appeared on one of those conspiracy cruise ships is definitely in the like the third, if not fourth, uh, camp. So that's uh, so. 
are we doing so we're so how are we numbering this now we're, we've become we've like so we've come across the double density scale the spectrum the double density spectrum, spectrum yeah. of ufology so i think one right to the left is your scientists okay uh, two is your skeptics who sort of want to believe and have done a lot of research so your stan freemans and your kevin reynolds right okay. yeah sounds good uh your threes i think are like your richard dolan's maybe okay so like they're yeah so we're kind of yeah so and you what about stephen greer now he's going to be more in between three, three to four. four right so three that's like four, the the michael horn the billy myers that, uh, yeah so they're on the four yeah and they're stephen definitely on the four. sort of a little more realistic than that yeah but like like just barely like a richard hoagland's like a three if not a four based on his faulty math well yeah he thinks there's faces on mars well, there are, bro. Haven't you gotten the photographs from Microfiche from the 90s? They're, I can't believe you don't believe this. I'll go to the library later. Uh, <laughs> what about Jim Mars? Uh, Jim Mars Speaking is a two Mars. to three. So the face of Mars, face on Mars. Ohio. Uh, but yeah, anyone who's decided to appear at one of these conspiracy cruises uh, is definitely a three, if not a four. People like my favorite fugitive, uh, <laughs> Sean David Morton, uh, uh, Nick Begich. Yeah, there's some real, real nutters on that end of the scale. I, I, I prefer to stick around the one and the twos. I'll get along with those people very well. But you like to find out about the threes and fours. Well, the threes and fours become super interesting in that you can look at them and, and you hold them up as an example of what you do not want to become. Like, I can <laughs> like, picture like, like a PSA like, almost. What's that? Like a PSA almost of like, don't, don't become this. Yeah, the PSA, exactly. This is your brain. This is your brain on UFOs. Um, how do you plan on talking to your kids about UFOs? Have you decided that yet? It hasn't really come up yet. Uh, we, when we're outside, I do like to look at the stars and stuff like that. Um, my kid's not lucky like me where they had that alien book right in the kid's library at, at school. That uh, Worlds of Wonder thing or whatever it was that we've, uh, we've mentioned a few times on the show. Um, I wish I can get my hands on that. That's another thing. I got, probably got pixel shredded. Damn it. I would love to see that book again. I guess I could probably find it somewhere online. When are you sitting your kids down and making them watch Sirius and an unacknowledged and the Stan Romanek uh, documentary? So Sirius, yeah. So Sirius would give them nightmares. Uh, I've never right. watched that one. I, I refuse to watch that. That's total garbage. Although it's pretty yeah, funny. Uh, well, we, so I did watch the Stan Romanek one uh, for some homework. Uh, which we'll discuss at a later date. Yeah, I, I think I'm on like watch number three at this point, and it's going to be four before oh, we go you, back how into. How do you uh, do that? No wonder you can't sleep. I I talk. I know it's. It, it, I don't want to say I like it. I don't want to say that, but it's just it's such a ludicrous. Anyways, like this is a whole thing we'll get into because we we plan on talking about this and we keep mentioning it, right? And we keep mentioning two things: the Stan Romanek documentary and Rods. Yeah, Rods, Rods. So I feel like it might be the biggest combination episode of all time. Where where, where would you put Jose Escamilla or whatever his name is? Like four. Yeah, he's a four, right? Bro, use your lenses properly. Get HD. At this point, <laughs> rods don't exist anymore because they're like... No, they don't. They don't. Like, nice try on the rods, but like, don't give me any updates on rods because rods aren't a thing. Flat Earth isn't a thing. Don't even try and, and try and convince me that's not a thing. What about bases on the moon? Oh, dude, the secret astronaut core is something that I wholly believe in. I, so I have a friend of mine who's literally a rocket scientist. And uh, he was talking about how somebody he knows was telling uh, him and another rocket scientist how the uh, moon is hollow. <laughs> yeah, that checks out. That totally checks out. So I, that, that conversation was quite interesting. Well, you know what? <laughs> That's the way things go around here, I guess. Yeah, so th having this podcast is like really leading... Uh, 
So it's making me realize, as somebody who thought he knew a lot about the paranormal, I'm like learning a lot of new stuff just doing the research for the show and interacting with certain people on on Twitter, like uh, the aforementioned Rob, uh, your UFO guy. He's super knowledgeable about the stuff. He makes me feel dumb on a daily basis, but in a good way. I'm learning a lot from him um, and from you too. Like you know a lot of this stuff that I'd never heard of. And one of the, like just a quick example is something. Uh, called Project Twinkle. It's so weird, the, the <laughs> namings of these um, old projects from, uh, you know, like Project Blue Book, Project uh, Grudge. But Project Twinkle, it was to actually look into green fireballs that people were seeing in the sky. Which was one of the, the causes, apparently, of the, uh, or sort of like one of the suggestions as to what actually happened in Roswell, right? The green fireballs. Yeah, that's yes. uh, this is coming from the... Um, Area 51 book that you lent me. And uh, I've been slowly going through that book because at night, instead of reading that, I've been watching old GameSack videos. That one's on you. Yeah. Well, it's actually on you because I had never heard of GameSack until you introduced them to me when we started <laughs> again. UFO homework. When we started this podcast. So, um, yeah, uh, so many weird things out there. Um, and we've been concentrating a lot on UFOs in the last few weeks. We might kind of move away from that um, for the maybe in the near future. I don't know. We like UFOs. Would you say UFOs are your favorite paranormal topic? Uh, yeah, like a top two then, like ghosts, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> ghosts, I guess. That's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like everything else is kind of a distant second to UFOs, right? Because I've spent my whole life sort of um, thinking and reading and wondering about them. Same so yeah, here. that's definitely that's definitely up there. That and the Chupacabra, and, you know. Well, so the UFO one, to me is uh, is top of the list because in my mind this is the most plausible it's it's something we know is factually happening uh, people see unidentified flying objects but we just don't know what they are whereas with the whole ghost thing oftentimes what people see not necessarily ghosts who knows it could just be environmental whatever they're seeing something but it's in my mind, it's less plausible that it could be something fantastical than uh, what UFOs are. So, yeah. So what you're saying is that you place a, a an alien uh, on over a ghost in terms of existing. Yes. It's more highly probable. What's more oh. probable that in like a practically infinite universe with millions and millions of billions, I guess, of planets, that there's intelligent life, or that like you know, Uncle Bob is like haunting you from like the grave. <laughs> uh, well, it depends on who you talk to, right? I guess. And I don't want to, I don't want to insult anyone either because I'll be happily proven wrong. Although kind of scary to be proven wrong. I really don't want ghosts to exist. I, uh, I got into an argument once about ghosts at a bar, which I can't really talk about on the, on the podcast because it was uh, a little lewd, I guess would be the best way of saying it. But uh, some people are really do. Uh, believe strongly in ghosts and apparitions and things beyond this mortal coil. Well, they have faith, and that's and that's totally acceptable. I'm I'm I have no problem with that at all. Uh, I uh, I have no issues with that, and I think it's it's a it's a healthy thing. It's not as long as it doesn't drive you bonkers like some people on the, towards the the number four on our uh, double density scale of ufology. Uh, it's cool. So you're, what you're saying is you're accepting. Uh, very accepting. Yeah, absolutely. Or else okay, we wouldn't be doing this podcast, right? I, I think I'm very accepting of people that believe in ghosts or use Android phones. Uh, it's, <laughs> uh, it's all the same and it's totally fine. 
from ghost versus aliens to skeptics versus fire contactees this has been episode 20 of the double density podcast tune in next week as we discuss lasers are they conspiracy theory or hey bro pass me that new springsteen cd see you brian goodbye from beyond Ooh.